Hello, everyone. My name is Nahum Siegel, and it's time for some JM Rewind, an opportunity over the next hour to uh, revisit some of the great conversations we've had on JM the AM over the last couple of weeks. Ayasi Kahana of the Jewish National Fund joined us recently to discuss Jewish Disability Awareness and Inclusion Month, and we had an opportunity during that conversation to explore some of the things that JNF is doing in Israel, uh, which are simply remarkable. Here's what it sounded like, my conversation with Yassi Kahana, right here on JM Rewind. Well, as many of you know, every February, Jewish Disability Awareness and Inclusion Month uh, is every February, observed every February. It's a unified effort among Jewish organizations worldwide to raise awareness and foster inclusion of people with disabilities and do and those who love them. The mission of the Jewish Disability Awareness Inclusion Month is to unite Jewish communities worldwide to raise awareness and champion the rights of all Jews to be included and to participate in all aspects of Jewish life like anyone else. The Jewish National Fund, JNF, has done amazing work in this area. Their director of the JNF Task Force on Disabilities is Yassi Kahana, who's based here in New York City. Yassi Kahana, shalom. Welcome to JM in the AM. Shalom, good morning, and thank you for having me. A pleasure and a, a delight to speak with you, especially on this topic. We've had the opportunity over the last uh, few years to speak about some of the incredible things that JNF is doing uh, when it comes to um, uh, working with people with disabilities. And uh, it really is uh, amazing and cutting-edge work, and it seems that it just continues to grow and grow. Last year, LOTEM, uh, Making Nature Accessible, welcomed over 1 million visitors at JNF's Inclusive Trail in Nachal HaShofet. The organization was also able to open several projects on its ecological farm, including an accessible amphitheater, a garden of learning, an olive tree garden, and protected classroom. Why has the LOTEM experiment or project worked so well in this area? Because, as you know, the Israelis like nature, and nature is a gift from God to our people. And JNF, along the years, built more and more parks and for and forests for people to enjoy. And the weekend, you can see all the Israelis are going out and enjoy. But then, if someone would like to go with a sibling or a child, a daughter that have a disability, this is a task. And that's why JNF open the door to all those people that would like to enjoy but cannot because the parks in a few decades ago was not inclusive for them. JNF, together with Lotem, opened this gift of nature to all people in Israel. It really is amazing. And when you think about it, some areas of Israel are difficult to navigate when you're trying to walk the nature trails and just, you know, tour the country by foot. So it is pretty amazing that you were able to do that. Is there, I would assume there are, there are so many other projects under this umbrella in this area that could be undertaken. I mean, the sky is the limit, I would guess, in terms of making areas of Israel and and uh, and specifically attractions of Israel um, uh, a fit for uh, for those with disabilities. You're right, and uh, remember, Israel is a young country. Relevantly, we're, we're barely seventy years old. But the way and the first, the first uh, programs that we're building through people with disability is amazing. And it's really, we can compare ourselves to many uh, countries, including United States. And JNF takes role in this program because we really believe that our vision, including all Israelis, including those with physical and mental disabilities, and remember, those men, women, and children represent a little more than 10% of Israeli population. 
Now, if you think about it, for every 100 Israelis, 10 have special needs. Right. So Janet really believes that we can, that we must ensure that each and every Israeli enjoy a life of dignity, belonging, and purpose. It is amazing. There's uh, the Ale Negev Nachalat Iran, a rehabilitative village in the Negev, uh, able to welcome 50 additional students with disabilities to its special educational school. Uh, ground has been broken on the Charles Shore Horseback Riding Therapy Park and Amphitheater. Alen Negev administered over 7,000 individual outpatient therapy sessions and 160 resident patients received care. Um, I mean, th- this is a unique project and one that was spearheaded by some real visionaries. And again, one that just continues to grow and grow and has become very familiar to those of us in the United States who understand and know about the work of JNF. Uh, again, would you agree, one of those projects that has endless possibilities? People here in the United States that have children with disability will understand it because after 21 years old, there is no solution. And people are really are seeking uh, all kinds of solutions here, and the parents are desperate. They don't know what to do with the children. What we did in Israel, it's really an initiative that today has been studied here in the United States in different communities to see how can we give a full lifespan solution for those kids that need 24-7. And we build it in the Negev because, as you know, JNF has a blueprint Negev campaign right. to move 500,000 people to the Negev. Now, if you move people to the Negev, you have to give them the services they need. Mm-hmm. By being partner with Ale Negev, we have been able to give, like you mentioned, so many services to people. They feel comfortable to move to the Negev, to have a luxury home, affordable home, but to have all the services they need. Uh, Yassi Kahana is with us. He is the director of the uh, Task Force for JNF on Disabilities. Uh, February is Jewish Disability Awareness and Inclusion Month. The JNF has no, made no secret about it at all that they have a $1 million fundraising goal for February of this year in order to continue and, uh, and continue to grow all these incredible projects in Israel, uh, specifically designated for those with uh, disabilities and special needs. The Red Mountain Therapeutic Riding Center at Kibbutz Grofit. Now, where is that? What area of Israel is Kibbutz Grofit? Kibbutz Grofit is about 40 minutes from the city of Eilat. It's about three hours from Beersheva, really remote, remote kibbutz, remote place, but serving the people that uh, pioneered that moving to those areas. There's a lot of kibbutzim in Yeshuvim and Eilat, as you mentioned, and there also need services, and JNF is part of our Blueprint Negev, also include them in our programs. And uh, over 7,000 therapy sessions for over 120 children uh, as part of the Center Scholarship Program. And it is amazing to watch how riding therapy continues to just uh, uh, grow and grow. I mean, I, I, I don't know the specifics of it, but I, I think it's remarkable the way that this area uh, of therapy is becoming such a big hit in Israel. And it's amazing to see the relationship between the animal of, and the children, and, and the results are coming so fast. People really would like to come again and again, make sure the kids receive all the services they need, and enjoy this therapy, and we see really miracles. We see an autistic child that never spoke, never make eye contact, and after a few sessions on the horse, is different child, and so many stories. That's why we support this program, because we'd like to say to the people, move to the Negev, move to the Arava, we will be there for, the, for you. It is amazing. Uh, Yassi Kahana is with us, uh, director of the JNF Task Force on Disabilities, as part of its focus on improving quality of life in Israel, JNF, 
is dedicated to ensuring that no member of Israeli society is left behind. Through a variety of, of initiatives, JNF provides cutting-edge rehab services, special ed and medical care for people with special needs, and makes its forests, parks, picnic areas, playgrounds, nature trails, lookouts, and recreational facilities inclusive for visitors of all ability levels, which is pretty remarkable. And as I said, for this February Jewish Disability Awareness and Inclusion Month, they have set a fundraising goal of $1 million to continue all these incredible projects. And Yassi Kahana, no secret here. You know what I saved for last. The most beloved and incredible program you have, the, at least in my opinion, the special in uniform program, JNF's partner that integrates people with disabilities into the Israeli army. It has doubled in size over the past year. It's expanded its presence to include 15 IDF bases across Israel. And Yassi, I don't know how to describe this, but essentially no other country in the world would be accepting people with this background to serve in their defense forces. You're absolutely right. And just last week in Washington, in Capitol Hill, was the Jewish Disability Awareness Event where 150 organizations came together to talk about the issues here in the United States for people with disability. And one of the topics was how can we bring the initiative of special in uniform to United States? So, yes, Israel is the pioneer, and as of today, the only country that really opened the door to those kids with disabilities, if they are under autism spectrum or physical disabilities, Down syndrome, you name it. They all have abilities, and the IDF recognize it, and JNF partnered together with the IDF and Israeli government to make it happen, and it's amazing. Every day we make a miracle. And, and we've spoken about this program extensively and, and spoken to those who are, quote-unquote, on the front lines of this program. And, it's, and, and they're actually, I mean, they're using, they're utilizing their services. They're actually, they are real soldiers doing things that need to be done on Army bases. And for those who think it's just, you know, a handful, a, a token type of, uh, of program, you're in the hundreds already, right? You're in the hundreds of soldiers from this type of background that are in the IDF at this point. As of today, 300 soldiers, as you mentioned, in 15 Army bases, and it's growing. We're right now waiting for 107 that will start the training in order to become the soldiers. And the demand is much greater. We have thousands of young people today that was rejected from the Army originally because of their disability, but now they're coming back to us and training together with our programs and eventually will become soldiers proudly, will earn uniform and give back to the country, give, give for them a self-esteem and sense of belonging. They, they are all like every Israelis are serving in the IDF. Just like uh, the, the people that they see their own age, their own friends and relatives and associates, who are going into the Army, they are doing the very same thing, which is remarkable. I would like to share one story sure. recently about a young boy, his name Omer Lat. His father is a former F-16 pilot and a commander at the Air Force. Oh. So he grew up in at a home that the father is every day wearing uniform and live in Army base, where, as you know, our pilot lives in the IDF Army bases. But when this boy with CP came to the stage of going to the army, of course he got the letter that he is eligible. And now we began the journey of how he could be like his father. And it was very tough because he is really physically handicapped as well. But his desire and dream came through this year 
a special uniform, believed in him and accept him, and is now serving in the Air Force of Israel like his father. And you could see the picture how the father and son coming together to Air Force to say, yes, we can contribute, we can be part of the society. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, every February, it's Jewish Disability Awareness and Inclusion Month. JNF is at the forefront of it with many other organizations who are raising awareness to foster inclusion of people with disabilities and those who love them. Yassi Kahana is director of the JNF Task Force on Disabilities, and as I said, uh, they have made no secret of their fundraising goal for this month to make sure that these programs continue and grow and continue to get support from this part of the world. Information about any of it, obviously, at jnf.org, jnf.org, as we continue to be impressed with their amazing work. Yassi Kahana, Tadaraba, and an early Chag to Bishvat Sameach to you. Thank you, to the Klal Am Israel and to your wonderful program in the radio show. Tadaraba, there he is, Yossi Kahana, on a Monday broadcast right here at JM in the AM. More coming up, everybody. Leave it right here. That was my conversation with Yossi Kahana of JNF. Uh, last Friday, Yishai Fleischer joined us from Israel in the uh, aftermath of the Amona expulsion. I wanted to get his uh, perspective on things. Um, and, of course, uh, now that uh, there's a new president in the White House, I thought I would get his perspective on that as well. Yishai Fleischer, a recent guest of ours on JM and the AM right here on JM Rewind. I've asked uh, the unbelievable Yishai Fleischer, spokesman for the Chevron Jewish community and somebody who always gives us a very interesting analysis of what's happening in Israel to join us. Yishai Fleischer, spokesman for the Chevron Jewish community, is right now in the holy city of Jerusalem. And he joins us live via telephone on this Friday morning, Erev Shabbos Parsha's bow at JM in the AM. Yishai, shalom, shalom. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Nachum, great to be with you. And I can't believe that I'm uh, in, in Malcolm's spot. That's like, <laughs> that's like uh, I'm like sitting in the, in the Rosh Hashiva seat or something. It's not, it's not right. I'm, I, I don't know if I can handle it. I, I, bigger than me. I'm sure he would say you're too kind, but, <laughs> but very nice of you to point out. Aisha, I, I got to start with this. I, I, I must admit, uh, you're probably thinking what made Nachum Siegel think of Yishai Fleischer this week. And as I'm watching the scenes from Amona, I am saying to myself, you know, a, a real big thinker, somebody who understands the big picture of not only Jewish history, but the perspective of the Jewish future as well, no doubt looks at what happened in Amona this week probably differently than I did. What were you thinking as you were watching Israeli forces evacuate and basically, uh, you know, be in charge of an expulsion of a Jewish community in Amona. I think it's a fair question, uh, and, and I think that, that, that a person could get very disheartened about the project of the Jewish state, uh, about Israel and Zionism, the return of Jewish people to the land of Israel. It's one thing when you have Nazis or any other enemies that the Jewish people have faced for the last thousands of years, you know, doing these things to us, kicking us out of the proverbial Anatevka. I, 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 you know, that, that's one thing. But then when, when you have your own Jewish forces, Israeli forces with the flag of Israel on their helmets or on their uh, uniforms, uh, doing this, this thing, which is not only was it, uh, not only was it a stupid thing to do in, in the sense that it empowers the jihad, uh, it, it, uh, it destroys the Jewish community in the land of Israel. It's certainly not what the God of Israel intends. Uh, it was also practically uh, unjustifiable because um, the Supreme Court really ruled 
to ev- evacuate and evict the Jews of Amona based on very flimsy evidence uh, that maybe there is some Arab landowner there and on a very small part of, of the Amona community. Uh, and if even if that is true, which it was really not proved to be true, the simple answer in every country, in every normal democracy, is compensation. You pay money yep. for whatever land you built on with good faith. Well, stop, for, uh, stop for a second there, Yishai, because we brought up this point this week, you know, eminent domain, compensation, etc. Why is it that we don't behave in that manner? Why is it that the government of Israel in that way does not behave the way most governments would? Right, so so uh, that that is the question, but I want to just sharpen what you just said right now, which is it wasn't really the government of Israel. The government of Israel and the police and the and the police powers of Israel were being um, kind of controlled by the Supreme Court. Really, the question is where is the justice system, and especially the Supreme Court, which is the the law of the land. Uh, you know, in in our modern state of Israel, the Torah is not the law of the land. It's it's the it's the laws of the state of Israel, right. which is an understand which is understandable. It's a, it was really built originally as a secular state, and uh, and its laws are a hodgepodge of of you know various democracies. But in any case, why is it that the Supreme Court did not act? Uh, in in accordance with with norms of other democracies is really unknown. That's one of the reasons why why people are so upset about it. I mean, the the they postulate that this uh, kind of liberal elite um, wants to preemptively strike against a community that can replace its way of thinking um, with with a, with, a, with a different way of thinking. Now, the analysis I'm just telling you right now is, is much deeper than what you're going to read in the New York Times or anywhere else. Meaning, meaning to say that there's really a culture war here, right. and that's what's, what's behind this, and not what frontally seems like a land dispute with some other owner, because we know the simple answer that would happen anywhere else if such a case would arise, which is compensation. By the way, just to make it clear, no other ab landowner was clearly proven. The the actual provenance of of the land, the actual ownership, was never really was never really proven in court. And therefore, you know, on on every, on every level, people are just scratching their heads and asking themselves, uh, what is this all about? But but your original question was, how does a person who has a, a you know a bigger vision for the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel and the and the era of the Third Commonwealth, how do you? How do you swallow this all? Because you can get very, very disheartened. And I know also that, that when you're sitting in America and you see these images, it, it colors your whole perspective of, of what Israel is. Right. Uh, but, but the truth is, is that, um, I don't know if it's the truth, but my hope and my opinion is, is that um, it's a little bit like on Yom Kippur. You have the service inside the temple, and then you also have the scapegoat, the, the Sir Lazazel, and according to many uh, commentaries, that that Sir Lazazel is a kind of uh, kind of sacrifice to kind of um, uh, get the dark forces of this world to to look away, to kind of like get distract feast them, on, feast on the sacrifice, so that we can get to, to the job of the real thing. The, the Jewish people uh, are expanding in Judea and Samaria. We're coming home. We're, we're having a lot of children. Houses are going up. Um, I just had guests from Australia here. They said they said to me. I have never seen a country where so much is being built at any given time. It's right. just constantly being built. And so, yes, uh, the destruction of Amona is absolutely a grave and horrific injustice. It was also an incredibly stupid thing to do 
with the advent of a new American president, right? It's like this is the signal that we're sending to him. Hey, hey, Donald Trump, uh, what we want to do in Israel is destroy Jewish communities. Let's keep going with that, right? So that was the opening salvo of, of you know, our move during his presidency. Not very smart, not, very good, not a very good move for us. Uh, but what I think is is that the, the dark forces need a little bit of appeasement. Uh, there was a little bit of appeasement to the Supreme Court of Israel. There was a little bit of appeasement to the Europeans or to you know uh, other forces that want to see the, the jihad, that want to see Judea and Samaria destroyed. But the much bigger project moves forward. And that's, by the way, why here in Israel there wasn't a super radical um, explosion of emotion, right. but a, a rather uh, you know tepid one, a timid one, really because people understood this is a very sad and, and wrong and a grave injustice that was perpetrated, but it's relatively small as compared to the much bigger project. J.M. and the A.M. Yishai Fleischer with his live via telephone from Jerusalem weekly update returns next week. Malcolm Holmline traveling today. Um, with, with that in mind, your statement about the new president... I don't know what the level of enthusiasm was in Israel in general uh, with this election. It's hard to gauge. You could probably tell us more uh, in terms of whether people were realistically thrilled or unrealistically thrilled. But we do see now that the White House warned Israel yesterday to cease settlement announcements that are unilateral and undermining of President Trump's efforts to forge Middle East peace. This according to a senior administration official told to the Jerusalem Post. Do you, and, and, and you just mentioned what you did about Amona. D- does the activities or, or the type of uh, activities like Amona's expulsion uh, lend itself to the president being able to make a statement like this, or as you just suggested a few minutes ago, or are these two things probably unrelated? First thing, uh, when we when we think about Nachum, when we think about the, the expulsion of Amona, just just one more image for you. Imagine the jihadists, you know, sitting in, in some some place, you know, in Shechem or in Hebron or or in uh, eastern Jerusalem, and just looking at us kicking our own people out of uh, you know a land that that our own government sent them to, and have they've been there for 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 fifteen twenty years. And they're just laughing. Like our, our enemies are just laughing at us. And they're thinking, this is great. We don't even have to do anything. Let's just let the Jews uh, uh, get rid of, uh, destroy these communities themselves. They'll, they'll do it eventually if we just keep up this propaganda that, it, that it's ours and, and the Zionists are, uh, are occupiers and foreigners. And, and similarly, to uh, with Elora Zarya, the soldier who shot the, the downed terrorist who basically executed him some uh, seven minutes after or 11 minutes after uh, he had fallen, right. um, you know, the, 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 the first, the jihadist that came to kill the Jewish soldiers, he was uh, neutralized. But then in the second round of the war, in what I call the narrative warfare or the media warfare, we lost that one. We, we, we hanged our own soldier. They used to say we did the work of the jihad for us. They wanted to destroy him. And they didn't get him on the first round, but they got him on the second round. But, but this time, we're the ones who are, who are doing the execution. So, you know, there's, we, we fall into a horrible trap of empowering and doing ourselves what the jihad and, and other, you know, anti-Israel forces would do, I think, anyway. What do you uh, think? Regarding to, right. What do you think of Trump's statement? With regarding to President Trump, first thing, I think that there was general excitement. 
Uh, it's important to remember that Israel is a sovereign country. When we have to make our own decisions, and uh, President Trump is the president of the free world of America, but he's not the prime minister of the state of Israel. It's important that Israel acts and remembers that it has to act independently. And we kind of learned that in the Obama era, that we have to act independently and we have to be more robust in our policy and, and do what we need to do in order to protect ourselves. With regarding to, to President Trump, there was excitement uh, that President Trump would be not antithetical to to, to the progress of Jews in Judea and Samaria or to the right of, of Jerusalem to be recognized as, as the capital of the state of Israel, um, and that basically he wouldn't obstruct any longer. He wouldn't obstruct any longer what other presidents of the United States have been doing, which is obstructing, for example, the recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of the state of Israel. I must say here, just in quick parentheses, that it's not President Trump who will potentially move uh, the embassy to Jerusalem. He will no, do no such thing. It's the will of the American people, as expressed in the 1995 uh, Jerusalem Embassy Act, which was signed by two houses of Congress and a president. It's the will of the American people to move the embassy to Jerusalem, and the other presidents have been obstructing it. All we're looking for from President Trump is don't obstruct it any longer. With regard to this report in the Jerusalem Post, which has been widely quoted, I don't know. You know, uh, we'll, we'll see what the reality is. Uh, one of the things about President Trump is that uh, uh, it was said during the campaign that his detractors took him, uh, took him uh, not seriously, literally and not seriously. Right. But his supporters uh, take him seriously but not literally. Right. We'll see. Uh, to me, I very much doubt that his vice president, Mike Pence, is going gonna, is gonna, to be in favor of a two-state solution and stopping the quote-unquote settlement. I, I, we know Mike Pence for a long time. Uh, we, know, we even know President Trump for a long time. Jewish people, especially many people in your audience, know this man very, very well. And so, um, I'm, I'm, you know, so, so the Jerusalem Post quoted somebody. Who knows if that's not a political spin to, to get people off his back? I really don't know. I want to remind you, by the way, that the Lubavitcher Rebbe, used to tell Israel all the time, he said, don't announce settlements. Just build. Right. <laughs> don't, right. don't talk about it. Just do it. He, he always used to tell that to, to, to the state of Israel. I think that's the, you know, the, the best recommendation. Just move on with the process and try to get it off the radar screen and just try to keep moving. You still there, Yishai? Yishai Fleischer from Israel. I have a feeling that uh, things went uh, dead on his end here uh, uh regarding his phone line it is uh america let's see if we can reconnect to him it is america's one and only jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world in the web at nachomsegel.com on the nachomsegel network and of course on the uh, beloved nsn app that was my conversation with ishai fleischer uh recently on jm in the am uh, this past week, Lior Hode joined me on the air. Lior Hode, the incredible uh, Yeshiva University basketball legend. Uh, he and his wife, Janet, have three sons, the Hode brothers, who uh, appeared in an NCAA Division Three game all at the same time. A rarity in uh, sports and uh, in college sports. Uh, Lior joined us, and we got into uh, not only the discussion about his sons, but also a discussion of what it's like to represent the Jewish people when playing for Yeshiva University. Lior Hode. Uh, the subject of this conversation on this edition of JM Rewind. Well, he is one of the greatest basketball players in the history of Yeshiva University. He's also an amazing person. He's also the father of three current 
uh, Yeshiva University Maccabee basketball players, believe it or not. Lior Hode is with us live via telephone. Lior Bokertov, welcome to JM in the AM. Bokertov to you also. Appreciate that very much. Congratulations. Last night I was there when Yeshiva University won yet another Skyline Conference game. It must make for a very nice night when the Hode family can go home with a big victory. It's always good when it's uh, before Shabbat and uh, you go home and you talk about it. It's just uh, an unbelievable time right now. It is an unbelievable time. The team is playing great. It's amazing to watch them. I'm, I've been able to convince at least a few listeners to come on down and see what it's all about. And uh, we just hope, like last year, we're just hoping they can go as far as possible. There's no, there's not, there, we, we have no idea how far this team can go, right? This, this team is really unbelievable. We have such a nice uh, guys on the team. I think the key here is that we have a guy like Mikey Berg, who's the glue to the team, and uh, I call him Mr. Crafty, because when you watch him play, he doesn't care about his stats. But somehow, everybody just moves around him. He gets everybody going. And, again, this team is, is all about the chemistry, about how the guy um, talk to each other and uh, react on the court. So it's amazing. Yeah, real amazing. They look like an amazing group and, and just wonderful kids. Speaking of wonderful kids, you have the you and your wife, Janet, have the unique distinction of having been uh, eyewitness, as I was, I'm so glad, <laughs> to, to three Hode brothers, in your case, three Hode children, being on the court at the same time, this happened last week. Uh, it was it was quite a moment when when all this occurred. You have three sons on the same YU team, and I'm sure you've been thinking for months about the possibility of them entering a game together. This is just amazing. You know, first of all, I'm going to go on record that beyond every great man, there's a great woman. So <laughs> my wife has a lot to do with this uh, transaction, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's just amazing. You know, I, I live. Both of us live to our kids. When I play ball, it was amazing. I accomplished a lot in my life, in business, etc. But there's really nothing better to being out there and seeing the fruit of your labor succeeding. And it's not about the scoring or the assist or all that stuff. It's the complete package. And I'm just thrilled. I'm, 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 I'm living my life journey to my kids, to my friends. This is an unbelievable time for me right now. It is incredible. Um, I, I can't, I mean, you know, the proverbial question, you know, what did it feel like when you saw this happening, but I'll ask it differently. How did the kids react? What, what was the three brothers, Jordan, Justin, Tyler, what was their reaction after this whole thing occurred? It's really interesting because, you know, when you speak to them after the game, they all grew up very close to, together and they all were the same size growing up. And, you know, you see Jordan is like the captain of the team. Right. He's, you know, he's in managing this boat. And then outside, they're all hugging each other. And, 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 and this is just, I, can't, I have nothing to compare it against. You know, I played with my brother for, you know, three years. Right. But this is just unbelievable. This is just amazing. I'm, 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 I'm shocked. You were, you were playing for YU in the, what would we call it, the late 80s, right? Would that be accurate? Yeah, from 84 to 88, yeah. And, you know, again, so typically I'm curious, uh, the big differences, maybe it's a general difference in terms of college ball, you know, in general in this country, but, you know, how different is the game that your kids are playing compared to what you did uh, on the Weishi University campus? So actually, it's very, it's actually an excellent question. So the way I look about basketball today is that in today's world, you have to compete with a cell phone and Facebook. So the athlete, the kids, Okay, have to manage your time differently than when I manage it. When I was playing ball, you know, we didn't have all this stuff. So my idea of socializing and, and getting out there is putting my time on the court. So now what's happening is you have a lot more quality players who dedicated themselves to playing ball, and, uh, and you can actually see it. I think the, the game got a lot faster, 
Uh, you still have the guys that can jump and can shoot, but it's more about the preparation. It's all about the scouting. It's all about um, you know being ready for the next time, and and they put a lot of effort. Those kids get up in the morning, uh, you know, four or five times a week, and 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 uh, when we when we played, it was we practiced at night two, three times, sometimes depending on on the game. The game completely changed. I I keep saying that our division. Two at that time is our division three today. That's the way I look at it. Wow, that's quite a statement to say the least. The uh, basketball legend, Yeshiva University legend Lior Hode, is with us live via telephone. Uh, he and his wife Janet are not only at every game, but they were at the game last week where their three sons are, were playing at the same time on the same court, which was a big deal for the NCAA. It's only happened a handful of times, and as far as you know, it's never happened in Division three before, right? That's correct. It never happened in Division three. It's happened uh, three times in Division one in nineteen fifty. 55 and uh, in 2011 with Duke and um, you know when you, when you when we go back when Tyler was born we used to kid around and say it wouldn't be wonderful if they could all play together and then they <laughs> went they played for Yavne and then before you know they played for Frisch <laughs> but we're never on the same team in that level I mean they play in the JCC league together etc and then as, as it gets closer and and, and it's like, wow this is, could really happen and you know it's like wow <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it is unbelievable like I, I mean, you, you know, when the fourth son is born into a sports-oriented family, we, we had that situation. So everyone's like, oh, you have a basketball team. And when the really large families, oh, you finally have a baseball team. But you really do. You really actually have the team. Which is, I, mean, uh, I, I want you to know that there's another piece of the uh, missing from this equation. I also have a daughter who's up to be a fabulous basketball player, too. I didn't realize she plays ball. She's 25. She's actually stopped playing again in the women's league in the old, old Frisch gym, and when she was in high school at Frisch, the first three years she was uh, the team was uh, won the first three championship game, and then senior they didn't do as well. But she's very active, very athletic. You know, she's she's amazing. You know, I don't forget about Samantha. She's. She's the, she's the best daughter I have. Let's put it this way. <laughs> Big shout out to Samantha. Lior Hode is with us. You know, I, I, I've been successful. Thank God. I've been successful, certainly in a handful of cases, to convince people out there, even those not affiliated with YU or, or those who have no history with YU, why it's such an amazing feeling sitting there and watching the Yeshiva boys play. From your perspective as a player, it, is, it must be a big difference if there's an extra 100 people in the gym. Am I right? This, this is, I mean, I can't even describe it, right? When, when we played, again, people didn't have enough and other areas to get distracted, so we used to get very distant crowds. Now it's a little bit more of a challenge because, you know, again, you're competing for people for time, but I will never forget the last playoff game last year. I mean, you were oh. there. Oh, is that amazing? It was, it was, I mean, if I can pay to have everybody just come over there, you know, maybe it's not a bad idea. We'll throw a big party the next <laughs> few home games. Let's fill the place up. The players feel it. The community feels it. Let's let's make something out of it. Let's go. It really is incredible. And now, as we see, they're marching toward the playoffs. And there's a game, a home game next Thursday night, meaning this coming Thursday night there's a home game. And I know there's a Saturday night game coming up as well uh, toward the end of February. So everybody just look at the YU schedule, and obviously I will remind everyone. And finally, Lior, uh, I'm so curious, especially because, well, in past years, I think there have been even more, but there still are some now, students from outside the United States who come to play ball with YU. Now, I don't remember exactly, you know, when you got to the U.S. and, and you know, uh, had, had left Israel but and, and to come over here, but what is that adjustment like? Is, is it, 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 I would assume it's much different than, than the American kid who's coming to the Washington Heights campus to take on a, a basketball challenge. Well, when, when I first started out, the, the, the gym wasn't there. So my, my freshman year, we had to go to um, 
George Washington High School. Right. So it was very hard to recruit, and, you know, Coach uh, Johnny Halpert, uh, we had, had a hard time getting people to come. But once the, g- the gym uh, was built, it was a, makes it a little bit easier. And, and um, you know what? Look, if you want to play an organized Jewish ball and, 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 and religion is very important to you and you want to be part of a nice program, YU is really the only game in town when it comes to that. You know, so, so to me, it's all about you playing for your people, you, you're a target, you're always a target. You, know, you talk about anti-Semitism, et cetera, when we step on the court, we're representing not just ourselves, but also the community, the community, the Jewish people. You, know, you can go on and on and on. And to me, that was always my motivator. When I played, I always played with Yamaka in my hands, even before I was religious. And, you know, it's, 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 a, special, uh, you know, it's a special thing to, to go out there, and, and, and it's not just a bas- to me, it's not just a basketball game. It's about a lot more than that. So I was very successful. I had you know wonderful career. I'm, you know, I have my wife, my kids, you know, my business, etc. You know, it's all good. That's why trademark. It's all good because it's all good. It is all good. I admire your perspective. Uh, it, it, it is so true that those young men are representing the Jewish people. I don't know if all of them get that, uh, but it's a message I've been trying to uh, transmit for a very, very long time. And when they do recruit. To South American students, Israeli students, and tell them that the adjustment will not be difficult. You do agree with that? That there is a way to ease into the whole situation? It absolutely agree. You know, basketball is a way. I, I use sports as an analogy, as a way to communicate with people. Even in my life in business, you know, there's something very special in getting a bunch of uh, players together and and, and even believe in a common goal. Um, I, look, everybody has different journey throughout their life. Right. You know, some people are more religious. Some people are not religious at all. When right. I came to YU, I was nothing. I mean, there's a whole story behind that also. But I believe if you believe in a common goal, and the sky's the limit, and I think Aleph is doing a great job in motivating those kids. And you, you never know what's going to happen two, three, four years from now when a guy who wasn't religious goes to YU, and then later on says, you know what? My life has changed. Let's try a different route. Right. So, by the way, I the, the the team was hitting so many threes last night. I actually saw Coach Steinmetz smile at some point. Could you imagine? It's unbelievable. <laughs> Look, we have a great we have a great shooters on this team. Oh. I mean, uh, Judah Halpert and 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 and, 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 and Judah, I'm sorry, Judah Cohen and right. Simcha and some of the guys. Uh, by the way, speaking of Judah, I just want to do a special shout out to his grandfather, Norman, who's a, is in a, in the Jewish home in Rockley. Uh, Norman is my uh, travel teammate for the past couple of years. He's the guy who my wife and I go to all the games. Mm. He had a problem with his leg, so he's, he still watched the game from, you know, from, uh, from, the, from the bed. And, of course, my father moved to Israel last year. Okay, he used to come for us to roll the game, so that's the two people that I'm kind of missed. He's just next to us. So, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Oh, big shout-out to them. And, oh, and I, I didn't even realize, you know, me and my son have been admiring Judah Cohen's work for the last month. I didn't even realize he's Deborah and Teddy's son from Passaic, New Jersey. So he has great pedigree as well. Just wonderful people out there in Passaic. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Lior Hode, basketball legend for Yeshiva University as they continue their march to the playoffs. And Lior, of course, as we said, and his family uh, really celebrated an incredible milestone when uh, Jordan, Justin, and Tyler appeared in the same game at this, on the same court at the same time last week. Lior Mazaltov on that. Thanks so much for joining us. Any other shout-outs, or we covered everybody? I would like to say a shout-out for my coach. For, for, I keep calling coach Johnny Halpert and Aviva Halpert, who happen to be my chief people officer. <laughs> but they're more my role model. My, my parents, and I really miss them. 
And uh, I just want to thank the community. I want to thank you for coming to the game. And I would like to see if everybody can just come for the next couple of weeks. Let's make something special happen. We're going to try to convince everybody. Tadaraba, Lior, and Shabbat Shalom. Thanks again. Shabbat Shalom to you, too. There he is, Lior Hode, everybody. He played in the uh, late 80s. I don't think he dreamt back then that he'd have three ball players, three sons, on the court at the same time for Yeshiva University. That happened last week, and the team last night, uh, in general, just played an unbelievable game. It was wonderful to be there. Congratulations to Coach Elliot Steinmetz and to um, the coaching staff and all the players as they continue their march. It's getting it's getting uh, really exciting. It's February in the NCAA, so it is getting very exciting watching uh, Yeshiva University play uh, the way they are playing. More coming up as we start to wrap up a Friday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Lior Hode recently. Um, who participated with us uh, in discussing Yeshiva University basketball. Uh, staying on the uh, sports theme, Robert Rothbart joined me recently from Hapoel Elat, a basketball team in Israel, to discuss his amazing journey. Here's my conversation with Robert Rothbart on this edition of JM Rewind. JM in the AM, Thursday morning broadcast. Well, our, our good friend, the sports rabbi, <laughs> you know Rabbi Halakman in Israel, uh, our good friend, the sports rabbi, and I believe that's his Twitter handle, actually, right? Sports rabbi or the sports rabbi. He he made us aware of um, a really cool story and an amazing, uh, uh, really an amazing tale of a gentleman named Robert Rothbard who is playing for Hapoel Eilat as we speak in Israel. And uh, he has overcome a lot of challenges and obstacles and is now a proud ball player at seven feet, one inches uh, for Hapoel a lot in Israel. Robert Rothbart is with us live via telephone. Robert, uh, shalom, shalom. Welcome to JM in the AM. Shalom, shalom, Nachum. It's such a pleasure for me to be a part of this. Thank I, you so much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. I mean, I'm sure your story is going to be quite inspirational to our listeners. L- let's start with this. Let's start from today, and then we'll move back for a moment. Um, how is Hapoel Elat doing? How's the team doing so far this season? Hapoel Elat, we're doing we're doing pretty well. We're pretty doing pretty decent. We started off a little bumpy in the beginning of the season, but we've uh, picked things up. In the meantime, we've beaten um, Hapoel Jerusalem and Maccabi Tel Aviv about two weeks ago. So we, we've uh, we've had some good victories and we've had some also terrible losses, but we're we're fighting for the playoffs, so we're okay. We're All right. Hey, when you mentioned you beat Maccabi Tel Aviv to this audience, that's quite significant. <laughs> everyone knows that they're usually. I hope, everyone knows yeah, they're usually I at the top. <laughs> yeah, they're usually the best team. I hope it's significant in a in a good way, not in a bad way. A hundred percent. That's for sure. Robert Rothbart with us from Israel. So you grow up, or I should say, you uh, you you're born in Yugoslavia. Uh, you end up leaving there. You lived in a total of twelve countries. Is that accurate? That's completely accurate, yes. <laughs> and this is because of the movement that conditions forced your family to undertake? That was that was just the reality that your family faced as you were growing up? Well, um, actually, only the first move was because of the war in Yugoslavia. Um, all the moves after that were, were mainly uh, because of basketball and some of them because of other family decisions my parents made. For example, when they chose to move from Israel to the United States, so that was just a, um, a decision they made because they felt like it was a better future for them financially. But most of the moves had to do with me playing basketball in, in different countries in the world. Interesting. Uh, is this your first season in Israel, or you've done this before? 
Oh no, this is my seventh season in Israel. Wow. Uh, not not consecutively. I had three. I had four seasons. I had one season, and then I had three seasons consecutively, and then I spent uh, four years playing in different countries in Europe. And now this is my third in a row here in Israel consecutively in a lot. Robert Rothbart's with us. Hapoel a lot speaking to us from Israel. He's uh, he's over seven feet uh, tall, and uh, he's a great ball player in the Holy Land. Uh, you, you talk about the um, experiences you've had and the opportunities that life has presented and the different challenges you've had to overcome. What can you tell this audience that might either, I don't know, sum up all of that or or give us a perspective of what you've learned through this entire journey? Yeah, um, well, growing up as a kid in California, I was actually one of the top uh, prospects and recruits for, for colleges and actually for the NBA straight out of high school as, as, um, as a kid. Um, eventually I, I was recruited highly by, you know, most universities. And eventually I, I signed for Indiana university it was the year after they lost in the championship game of the NCAA, uh, 13 or 14 years ago. But I decided to, uh, since I really wanted to be a professional basketball player and make it to the NBA, I decided to, uh, pass on that and go and, and play professionally in France, in Paris, right out of high school at the age of 18. Uh, and actually, my, my third preseason game, I was heavily injured during a, um, during a game. I, I dislocated my shoulder, and that started kind of uh, a line of events that, that would lead me to realize that I wasn't going to be an NBA player and I wasn't going to become the, 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 the thing or, or I wasn't going to make the dream that I gave everything up, gave up my, my full scholarship in Indiana University and in UCLA and in Arizona and all the schools that were recruiting me. Um, and, and I was in a situation that I had to get myself out of it on my own. So um, with my hard work and the things that I've learned uh, and also about myself that I've learned that, that you know, sometimes we, we don't know what it is that we want and sometimes the, the, the world seems like it's falling apart right under our, our, our legs, but actually, uh, in reality, we have everything we want right there, and we just need to dig that down inside and find who we are. And through those hardships, I can say that, um, you know, being a heavily recruited high school kid and being uh, on the way to success, almost certainly, I know now that I'm a much stronger and much more valuable person to myself that I've gone through the hardships and the, and the moves that I've gone through um, if I if I if I had just succeeded, I don't know where I'd been, where I would be today. But I know that I've 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 had an opportunity to find myself and find my inner strength through my hardships, and and I think that's what's important that people start looking at uh, hardships and obstacles as opportunities to make to make a change and to to grow grow inside. Rob- look at look at look at those uh, obstacles with a smile on their face. Robert Rothbard from Israel. Um- how long does it take to get to that point? I, I would assume the initial weeks and months after an injury like, like you described and, and other times when, the, when challenges you know, uh, really sprouted forth in your life, it, 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 there is an immediate um, reaction which you know, can, can get one down, can, can dominate you know, one negatively. How, how long does it take to, to bounce back from those types of episodes? Um, I can say that it doesn't take months. It, t- it took me years. It took me about five years of not knowing what I was doing. Still because I was seven foot tall and still because I was a really talented basketball player, I was able to, 
secure myself, you know, uh, jobs in Europe, and 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 they call it a job, but it's it's their teams that you know pay for my services. But I wasn't uh, I wasn't there yet, you know, and I was I was going through this process, and um, it takes a lot of failures, just like it takes a baby a lot of times to fall to learn to walk. It takes takes us humans and grown-ups a lot of failures to learn uh, about ourselves and, and what we're capable of doing. And um, as long as we're digging deep down inside all the time, I think we'll, we'll be okay. What's the difference playing in Israel compared to playing in other European countries? Well, I played in, uh, I played in almost, like I said, 11 other... I played in, I think, uh, nine or something other countries other than Israel. Um and I guess the biggest difference for me here, um, obviously since I've gotten closer to, to Judaism and I'm a, um, an Orthodox Jew, it's obviously the biggest difference would be being able to, to have that comfort level of, of being in Israel as far as that's concerned. Um, but, yeah, every place has, has got its ups and downs, but being here in Israel is great, especially because I feel like I'm also kind of, like you say, in the Holy Land. So the the Hapoale lot schedule uh, jives well with uh, with Shabbos and Jewish holidays. Uh, actually, I'm I'm very lucky, and we're very lucky here in Israel that the basketball league actually doesn't allow um, doesn't allow games on the Sabbath and, and on holidays. Not like soccer, for example, where they actually do play on Saturday. So, uh, as far as that's concerned. I'm I'm pretty well off as far as that's concerned, but my team does have to make special arrangements for the whole team so that they can accommodate me. So we don't practice. Um, it's normal to practice every single day in basketball, and we practice uh, on Friday mornings and we practice on Saturdays, mostly Shabbos after after Shabbos. But most teams in Israel will practice an hour before mostly Shabbos. They don't really, you know, make sure that that's that's you know. Um, Exact, but my team does do that, and they change games uh, for me and for another player who's also religious on my team, um, in so that we won't have to fly. And, and and so, yeah, they do accommodate me very, very well, and I'm very happy for that. Are there any? Pl- I'm I'm just curious. I'm not judging. Are there any players in the league who wear kippot? No, there aren't. No. Including myself, I don't. I am during during, uh, during games. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah I, I'm not making any statements or judging. I'm really just curious. But I am I am just fascinated by the fact that the schedule works out the way it does. I hope some of our listeners who are critical sometimes the way that organized things in Israel work when it comes to Shabbat. I hope they realize what you just said in terms of the basketball schedule never interfering with Shabbat or Jewish holidays. What's it like, and how does it feel when you represent Israel on the national basketball team? Because aside from the a lot team, you actually play, I guess, for what we would call Team Israel, right? Yes, Team Israel. We, um, we were in the European Championships, um, not this some, last summer, but the summer before that in, in France. And actually the European Basketball Championships are being held in Israel this summer. So being a part of those 12 uh, best players that hold Israeli nationality is, is, first of all, it's a great honor because I've got options. I've got uh, three other nationalities. And passport. So um, for me, it I, that was a joke. But um, I do have the other passports. But I'm I'm happy to be playing for Israel. To have Israel on my shirt. Uh, to to represent the country. And um, I was offered to play for the Bosnian national team, and I refused. Um, so I, I'm happy to be part of that. So that means a little bit, maybe even more to me than it would mean for the born Israelis that are just used to being Israeli. 
for me, it's it's a great honor, and I, I almost sometimes can't believe it when I'm sitting there and I'm, when I'm standing there listening to the an anthem, and I'm realizing, wow, I'm playing I'm playing on Team Israel. Like you said. It is unbelievable, incredible. Will you be in Israel the rest of your life? Do you think? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm uh, I'm very open to to everything, so I haven't I haven't closed myself off to the possibility of coming back to the states when I'm done. Um, but for now, I'm I'm really enjoying it. We we move a lot in Israel as well, so I get to see a lot of different cities here, and I'm really enjoying it for now. Aside from yourself, who's responsible for your journey to orthodoxy? Um, for my journey to orthodoxy, who's responsible? Well, I've had um, I've had you know uh, I've had friends and 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 families that have taken that took me in in my first years, and uh, specifically I'm a guy by the name of Asher Platsky who who uh, took me in every Shabbos in uh, when I was playing in a team in Kiryat Shmona, and uh, he would learn with me every single day, and he would uh, make sure that I was under that I could understand the things I was learning and see them every day. And obviously, I had I have many many um, role models in the Orthodox world as rabbis that I look up to that that uh, that I look up to and that I kind of see them as role models. Robert, you seem like an amazing person with an incredible story, a wonderful history, and a real pride uh, to be playing in Israel and for. Team Israel as well. A pleasure to meet you in this manner, and I look forward to actually meeting you in person one day because I would very much enjoy that. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Robert Rothbart plays for Hapoel Elat, plays for Team Israel, has this amazing story having fled with his family when he was six years old from war-stricken Yugoslavia, overcame injury and many uh, challenges, to um, to go from a uh, high school kid who was heavily recruited and was offered plenty of scholarships in colleges here in the United States uh, to play in Europe and then eventually get to Israel and, as you heard, uh, to make a journey to Orthodox Judaism, which is pretty remarkable. Robert Rothbard, Kolakavod. That was my conversation with Robert Rothbard of Hapoel Eilat. I thank you all for tuning in and listening to JM Rewind, an opportunity to revisit some of the great conversations we've had on JM and the AM over the last couple of weeks. Thank you for continuing to listen to the Nahum Siegel Network. Oh,
ירושלים, על ראש שמחתי. Oh uh-huh. 